This podcast is a ministry of Grand Parkway Baptist Church, helping people know, enjoy, and glorify God. For more information about Grand Parkway, visit grandparkway.org. Amen. You can have a seat. If you've got a Bible, I invite you to take it and open it up to Exodus chapter 1. Exodus chapter 1. And if you're our guest today, we started last week. Uh, we're going through the book of Exodus episodically, not verse by verse, which is called exegetically, but at di- different episodes in the book of Exodus. Last week, we did a, an overview. It's like we all got in a helicopter and just kind of flew over the book of Exodus and said, hey, here's seven things you need to keep in mind. Well, today, I want to talk to you about a story of promise, provision, and people. Or if you don't like that title, another title simply this, getting the article right, getting the article right. And what I mean by getting the article right is an article is in the part of speech is like words like the, or, and, 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 and when it comes to this whole story that God's telling, we, we live a story, but we don't always live in the story. Does that make sense what I'm saying? And so we got to make sure we get the article right because our story is a little S and the story is a capital S. It's bigger and better and beyond anything we can ask or imagine. And so uh, let me just begin with a confession. Uh, how about that to start with? Hey, you up for that? Some of y'all looked up for the first time all morning right there like, now I'm interested. Uh, this is one of those parts of the Bible. I'm going to read the first seven verses of Exodus. This is one of those parts of the Bible that when you read it, you'll be real tempted to go, yeah, I got nothing. Let me just pray and be done. Uh, and, and, and this is why you need to, to kind of understand what the Bible says and kind of look at it. And there are things that will jump off the page. Let me just kind of read it. I'm going to read it and then I'm going to preach it backwards because I think it makes more sense kind of walking back up through the passage. Exodus chapter 1, verse 1. These are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob, each with his household. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan, and Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. That's like calling the role at homeschool right there, okay? That's all the good names right there listed out. Now, now here, he says, these are the names of the sons of Israel. Israel is, is a reference to Jacob. These are the sons of, of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob, each with his own household, okay? Verse 5 says, all the descendants of Jacob were 70 persons. Joseph was already in Egypt. Then Joseph died and all his brothers and all that generation. But the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. And they multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. And I'll stop right there. And I want to make three points from the passage and kind of walk them back in reverse order. So the third point would simply be this, that that, that God keeps his promises. God keeps his promises. One of the things that's going to help us to get the article right, because if we don't believe that God keeps his promises, we're going to not live in the story and we're going to start living our story or my story and live a story. And you're going to look back when you're about 70 with a lot of regret and not much remembering, not much to look at and point in God and go, hey, Remember when God did this and remember when we didn't know what we we're supposed to do and we prayed and maybe we fasted for a couple of days and God made it really clear. That's remembering. Most people get to 70 and they don't remember much. They regret a lot. And here's why, because they don't believe that God keeps his promises. You say, now, what do you mean God keeps his promises? I mean, preacher, you seem excited about this. What's the big deal? Look at verse five again. Let me read verse five, six, and seven. It says, all the descendants of Jacob were 70 persons. In other words, when they came into Egypt, they were 70 people. And now at this point, when Exodus opens up, there's so many, as we'll see in just a minute, that the Pharaoh that came on the scene that didn't know who Joseph was, he was worried and he was like, man, these people are so many. If we get invaded, they're going to side with our enemies and they're going to overwhelm us. 
That's like, how do you go from 70 people coming in, these, these 12 descendants of the, of the tribes of Israel, and, and all of a sudden there's 70, and now they, they are just everywhere. Here's how. God keeps his promises. This is how densely populated it was. Look at verse eight. It says, now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and they fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh store cities, Pithom and Ramses. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. And it goes on. It goes on. It gets so bad. The Pharaoh gets so concerned about how many people there were. Now, keep in mind, this is all under the banner of God keeps his promises. Now, let me say this, okay? Sometimes when I say God keeps his promises, they're not manifested or realized in your life. They're realized in the life of your children and your grandchildren. So the way you live today matters for successive generations that come after you. It's not just a legacy. It's an opportunity to set the spiritual trajectory of your descendants. That's why the psalmist says that one generation tell of your deeds to another. Okay. You say, what do you mean? God keeps his promises. They multiply so much that Pharaoh says, Hey, we can't just take note of this. We got to do something about this. And so the book of Exodus is not the, the, the Israelites against Pharaoh or Moses against Pharaoh. The book of Exodus is about mainly God versus Pharaoh. And here's why, because he wants to reduce their number. He wants to enslave them, which is in direct uh, conflict with what God says, this redemptive story that God's telling, because God said back in the creation narrative of Genesis, remember what God said to Adam and Eve? He said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the land, rule over creation and subdue it. They came in 70 and now they're way beyond 70. I mean, they are numerous. There's so much that Pharaoh goes on to say in chapter one to these two uh, Hebrew midwives, Shifra and Pua. Now, if you're looking for names to name your twin daughters, there's two right there. Nobody's naming their kids Shifra and Pua. I mean, we got like Sophie and Camille. We got all the cool Fort Bend County names. But if you want to rock a biblical name, drop that on your kids. What's your kid's name? This is Shifra and this is Pua. And your kid's are like, my parents read too much of the Old Testament. <clears throat> Now, Pharaoh said to them, hey, when the Israelite women go to give birth, you see them on the birthing stool. If it's a boy, kill it. Now ask yourself this question. How insecure and threatened do you have to be in order to kill a baby? That's how real the promises. Sometimes the enemies of God have greater respect and fear for the promises of God than we do. He said, hey, if it's a boy, kill it. But if it's a girl, let it live. And they said, this is civil disobedience. They feared God more than they feared him. They said, hey, we're not going to do that. And so they let the babies live. And Pharaoh came and said, what's the deal? They said, hey, these Israelite women, they're healthy. Boom, they're quick. Them babies come flying out, all right? We can't do anything about it. And then he ups the ante and he says, I tell you what, if it's a boy, throw it in the Nile. If it's a girl, let it live. Which in chapter two, we get to next week when they lay Moses in the Nile. And just kind of handing your children over to the providence of God. We see what God does with that. But right now, I just want to say again, God keeps his promises. I don't, Exodus, by the way, uh, well, we'll get to that in a minute. Exodus, I say God keeps his promises. You got to go back to Genesis chapter 12 when God was talking to Abram. Now, Abram had a son and Abram's son was, he had a couple sons. Who was Abram, one, one of Abram's son? Well, let me get that backwards. Jacob, who was Jacob's father? 
Isaac. <laughs> the guy in the back said, Isaac, I'm going to go with that. Now, let me say this right here. If you're in church and you just, when I said, who is Jacob's father? And you're kind of like, uh, I knew he shouldn't come to church. There's a pop quiz. Relax. Okay. God's not looking down going, you should have known that. No, no, no. We'll get to it in just a minute. One of the reasons you should know the story. Jacob's had a father named Isaac. Who was Isaac's father? Abraham, Abraham, God told Abraham, take your son, your only son, Isaac, lay him up on the altar. Okay. So you go, you got Abraham, you got Isaac, you go forward. Isaac has a kid and, and, and Jacob, who's Jacob's father. And so you got Isaac, you got Jacob, and then Jacob has Joseph. And so what God says way back in Genesis chapter 12, he says to Abram, and he says this, now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. Hear that part. I will make of you a great nation. This is Genesis chapter 12. Abram is 75 years old. Remember I wrote you an article this week and sent it to you how the GPS of God's heart is not set on the American dream. Remember that? And some of you, by the way, wrote me back and said, what are you saying? I, it, it's obvious. I'm, I'm not saying, hey, don't move. It, it's never God's will to move, be close to your family or grandkids or whatever. I am saying this. It's not always God's will. I am saying that. The GPS of God's heart is not just dialed in to whatever you got going on. I met a couple that's visiting today. Uh, they're missionaries in Ireland. And they're like, hey, we're looking for some people to come to Ireland, drink Guinness, and contextualize the gospel. Men, are you with me? Can I see your hands? Yes, I see that hand. Are there others? <laughs> All the men are like, what time does the plane leave? No. I said, how long have you been in Ireland? I said, a couple of years. And I knew what had happened. They're like Abram. Abram's 75 when God says this to him. And God says, leave the land of your forefathers and go to a land that I will show you. I will bless you. I'll make you into a great nation. He said, I coach. We're both in public education. I coach. And she was a high school guidance counselor. And two years ago, after they got done with their their job, they said, we're not going to sit around. Boom, they're in Ireland. He's like, man, y'all are sending a mission team. We got a hostel. We got a seven-bedroom hostel. How about a pastoral retreat over there, first of all, just to kind of scout it out before we bring a team? Can I get an amen? Y'all aren't with me today. Anyway. I'm going to trade y'all in for a different congregation. So what am I saying? God keeps his promises. God said to Abram, Genesis 12, I'll make him into a great nation. Three chapters later, I mean, he's just depressed, Abram, because you think people in the Bible are like, hey, man, God said it, and that's it. No, he's like, God, we ain't got, you said that I was going to be a great nation. We can't even get pregnant. Are you kidding me? Infertility is killing us. And, 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 and I'm, 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 I'm going to have to have sex with some other woman to get an heir. And God said, no, 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 I'm going to give you an heir. And God said, go outside. He looked up. He said, look up. He saw the stars in the sky. He said, I'm going to make your descendants as numerous as the stars of the sky if you could count them. Abram's like, oh, 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 okay. But the Bible says this in Genesis 15. And Abram believed God and God credited to him his righteousness. Look at me, beloved. One of the reasons some of you don't feel this close proximity relationship with Jesus is you don't believe God. When God says something, you hear it through your circumstances. The promises of God are, 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 are providential. They're not circumstantial. Let me say this again. The promises of God are providential. They're not circumstantial. And so this all happens because God keeps his promise. What he said to, to, to Abram before his name became Abraham was, was realized to some degree in Isaac and then in Jacob and now in Joseph. Because it's not like a time stamp on it. God said it and said, well, I meant it just for that moment right there. No. The promises of God are providential, not circumstantial. Second thing I want to say to you this morning is simply this. Wherever you're headed, God is already there. 
Wherever you're headed, God is already there. Look at verse 6. After it kind of gives the, the list of the names, it says all the descendants of Jacob were 70 persons. Actually, it's verse 5. And it says this, Joseph was already in Egypt. Now, that's one of those five-word phrases. It's, it's a fragment. It's not even a complete sentence. Joseph was already in Egypt. You say, what, what, what's that got to do? Wherever you are headed, God is already there. So if you just finished fifth grade and you're going into sixth grade, look at me just for a minute. I realize that can be scary. You're kind of like, hey, elementary school, that was cool. We were fifth grade. We were like the kings of campus. And next year, we're going to be like plankton on the food chain at middle school. Hey, God's already got a Joseph there. Joseph's already in the land. The exact teacher you need is there, and it's going to be better than you could imagine. You say, well, I, I, uh, that's a great, that doesn't apply to me. Uh, some of you are having conversations because you've been a child, you've been a son or a daughter to your, to your mom and dad all this life, and now you're getting to the point you have to parent your parents. And so I just want to say to you, you have to make end-of-life decisions. You're going to have to make assisted living decisions. We put mom and dad in a retirement community. Do they come move in with us? We sell our house, get a house that has two master bedrooms down so we can take mom in and let her live out her life with us. I want to look at me. Joseph is already in Egypt. Wherever you're headed, whatever circumstance, whatever part of life you're headed into, I want you to know that Joseph is already there. In other words, God's already making way because you see, the big deal about Joseph, Joseph being in Egypt is not just that he's in Egypt, but how he got there. Remember, his brothers were jealous of him, so he threw him in a pit, and they took his robe, and they put blood on it, and they took it into his dad and said, hey, dad, he got killed by a wild animal. Jacob was devastated. He's like, no way. What they really did was they, after they threw him in the pit, they saw some Bedouins coming by these nomadic herdsmen and they basically sold Joseph into slavery to these people. And they just kept on cruising, took Joseph with him. He got into Egypt, all kinds of crazy stuff happened. Potiphar's wife comes on to him. He ran out of his shirt. He just left her shirt in her hand because he said, I'm not that kind of a man. And he gets put in prison because he's falsely accused. Can you imagine being Joseph, being in prison, all this stuff happens and someone come along and say, hey, by the way, God keeps his promises. Yeah, tell me about it. I'm in prison because I'm falsely accused because some guy's wife made a move on me and I said no and now here I am. And people in prison realize, hey, this Joseph guy walks with God and he interprets dreams. God tells him things. And time goes by and this king has a dream and no one can interpret it. And then one of the guys says, hey, by the way, I know a guy who can interpret it. They bring Joseph in. Joseph interprets the dream. He gets promoted. Famine breaks out and his brothers who think he's dead or he's been sold into slavery come to Egypt looking for financial assistance or a government harp loan. And all of a sudden they go before the tribunal. They look up and they're like, rut row. And there's Joseph. And Joseph smiles and says, what you intended for evil, God intended for good. Why? Because God knew famine was going to come and God knew that these men were going to need assistance. And Joseph was already in Egypt. Joseph was already there. Wherever you're headed in life, whatever circumstance or situation you're walking into, I just want to say to you that God is already there. And by the way, don't miss the irony. Here's the, the Bible speaks with this amazing peace and this really loud authority. Don't miss this irony. Remember, Jacob was the guy that deceived his brother and his dad and got the blessing and the birthright. Remember Jacob and Esau? And you said, <laughs> keep talking. You seem to know the story better than we do. Jacob, his name means deceiver or sneak. Jacob deceived his brother Esau and his dad. And then here's, what, here's one of the things that galls you about adulthood is when you see your kids doing things that you did. Jacob deceived his brother 
and got the blessing and the birthright. And then his brothers, excuse me, his sons do the same thing to their brother Joseph. They sell him because they're jealous of him. They sell him into slavery. And all of a sudden, there they are. And it's like, whoa, man, I bet you're ticked at us. And Joseph smiles and says, no, what you guys intended for harm, God intended for good. Why? Because the promises of God are not, not circumstantial. They're providential. Wherever you're headed, God is already there. And then the first point, point number one, which is our last point this morning, is simply this. This is a big story. Read the first seven verses of Exodus and let your mind be blown. If you're reading it, reading it in Hebrew, the first word of Exodus is, and these are the names. It just kind of picks up where Genesis left off. And these are the names of the tribes that came into Egypt. They were, he lists them off. Them and their household, there were 70 in all. And they'd been very busy doing what God said to do because God said, be, fu- be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Ask yourself today, are you done having kids? <laughs> yes, I've got a yes over here. I've got an oh yes over here. Somebody in this section right here just went. Don't go there, preacher. I'm just saying, here's the thing. The people that are filling the earth and subduing it have no business having multiple children. Is that politically correct enough? I mean, why be politically correct when you can be right? That's my theory. But anyway, (laughs) I'm just saying, just be careful. See, this is a big story. What do you mean this is a big story? It's not just like, I'm not talking when I say this is a big story. I don't mean just Exodus. I mean the story that God's telling. You got 39 books in the Old Testament. You got 27 books in the the New Testament. And they're not 66 books that all tell a different story. It's one book that tells this one story that begins with, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And it ends in Revelation with, even so, Lord Jesus, come quickly. And you got to kind of know the whole story. You say, I got to know everything in the Bible? No. No, if you're an observant person, you've been looking over here and probably kind of wondering to yourself, hey, what is that in that box there? I'll tell you what's in this box here, because I brought this myself to make a little a, a little visual. This is doom. This, beloved, is not just a cake. This, my friends, is a chocolate chocolate chip because you can't have enough. Amen. It's a chocolate chocolate it's from nothing bunt cakes it's chocolate chocolate chip and it has a sweet buttercream cream cheese icing on top yes i hear that baby <laughs> give me some of that i'm gonna slap somebody so when i say this is a big story and, 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 and hey stop staring at my cake oh look at me all right Y'all are like, take me to your leader. 39 books in the Old Testament, 27 in the New, 66 books. I'll tell one story. Think of it like a cake. By the way, this is a lazy Susan. And by that, I don't mean your aunt, okay? What do you mean? You got to know. We're not talking about knowing the story. It's this fully orbed, delicious story that God is telling. Let me give you four things I want you to, to, to think about going into the summer and we'll be done this morning, okay? Number one, I want you to know the story. Know the story. Because see, evangelism, having spiritual conversations with people, talking about God, whatever you call it, evangelism loses its fear when we know the story. 
It just kind of falls off of us. We stop thinking, I don't know what to say. Uh, uh, uh. You don't got to say the same thing to everybody. You, you, you got to know, hey, where do I need to cut the cake where this person can taste and see that the Lord is good? If you have the same answer to every spiritual question, you don't know the story. Case in point, a guy came up to me. I was walking around before services once and just shaking hands. And I said, hey, I don't think I met you. My name's Neil. And I said, is this your first time? Yeah, yeah, not, not much in church. I don't really know much about God and the Bible. I said, just relax, man. We got a lot of folks here like that. We got some folks who been at this a long time. We got some folks that just, that just, hey, my wife said this was okay. And so it's okay. Just don't make me talk or anything. I'm like, hey, just relax. And so I said, hey, you want to get coffee sometime? Oh, uh, uh, I said, I'm not going to preach to you. I just want to get to know you. Oh, 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 okay, maybe. So we're talking. I said, just relax, drink your coffee. We're talking after church. I said, well, how was it? That wasn't, that wasn't that bad. I mean, you're not as smart as those preachers who use the big words. <laughs> awesome. Thanks for that. Yeah. And he said, I just, I just, this is what I mean when I say know the story. It's kind of, where do I cut the cake where this person can taste and see the goodness of God? What do you mean? He said, I, I, I just don't know. And I said, by the way, there's people in the Bible that didn't know. And he's like, no way. And I said, way? He goes, what do you mean? And I said, like in Acts chapter 8, it tells a story that uh, there was this guy. He was an Ethiopian. He was a guy who was a treasure of, 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 the, of the whole country of Ethiopia. And he had been to worship, and he was coming back. And he, he worked under Candace the queen. And he was coming back riding his chariot, and, and, and he was reading the scroll of Isaiah. And the Holy Spirit told the guy named Philip, go run alongside that chariot. And, and, and he asked the guy, hey, do you understand what you're reading? And the guy that was reading, who just came from worship at the temple, said, how can I unless someone explains it to me? And so he invited Philip up alongside of him. And starting with that verse, Philip, the Bible says, told him the story of Jesus. Because the guy didn't know. He'd just come from from church, from quote-unquote temple, from what we call church. And he's reading and kind of going, I don't get any of this. So if you're here today and you're like, hey, man, I don't know any of the answers to the questions you ask. I, I don't know anything. Relax. You're in a great place. See, knowing the story is just knowing where... To cut the cake. So I want you to know the story, number one. Second thing I want you to do, I want you to live in the story. This is where we get the article wrong. We live in a story, but we don't live in the story. And you can live in a story, and you can believe that God's going to just follow you, that God's going to give you the desires of your heart. You hear that verse, you take it out of context, and you just think, okay, God, here's what I want. And here's, here, here's the bad news. God will give you all that. Because what he's established in his head and his heart is there's a man or woman I can't trust. So let me just give them presents. Let me just give them stuff with a bow on top, but they don't need my presence. Living in the story. What do you mean? The, the rhythm of our lives is set by the story of the gospel. Let me say that again. The rhythm of our life is set by the story of the gospel. We worship. We gather on Sunday morning. Because this is what first day of the week, we give God the first fruits. That, that, that means the first fruits of our, of our income. That means the first fruit of our time. That means that's why we gather on a Sunday. But, well, what about so-and-so? They worship. I don't care what they do. I understand what the Bible says. And we begin our week on a Sunday in worship. My life, the, 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 the rhythm of the story of the gospel, the rhythm of the story of gospel kind of sets my life and anchors my life in something bigger and, and, and beyond me. And so, like, I read the Ten Commandments. We'll get to that later in the book of Exodus. And it's just kind of like, yeah, yeah. And it's not, oh, gosh, I can't do what? No, 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 no. That, the rhythm of the gospel 
kind of causes my life to make sense. So when I say live the story, that's what I mean. Third thing I want you to take into the summer is simply this. Tell the story. When's the last time you told the story to somebody? When's the last time someone was talking and you just kind of said, you know, no, that's not true. And I'm not trying to hate on you or judge you. I just want to just kind of answer. When's the last time, 22-year-old single woman, you said to a young man who's coming, hey, you want to go back to my place? I don't know what you mean when you say go back to your place. But if you think go back to your place so we can hook up, that ain't going to happen. And here's why. And you tell the story, not like, because Jesus says that's bad. Maybe it's just with tears streaming down your face. You know what? I've, I've been there, and, and that doesn't satisfy. And the Bible asked me a great question in Isaiah 55 when it says, why spend your labor on what does not satisfy? I've wasted enough of my time and my affection in relationships that don't satisfy. I'm trying to prioritize my relationship with God because that satisfies. So we ain't going back to your place to do what you think we're going to do or you might want to do. Because if you try that, we're going to be fighting up in here. So you can't get that on a track at the bookstore. Telling the story. There's a thousand people on our campus today. That means it comes out in a thousand splendid different ways. This week. Finally, I want you to contextualize the story. Contextualize the story. That, that, that's, that's why the cake is here. Where do I, where do I contextualize? Where do I, where do I cut it to where it makes the most sense to the person I'm talking to? Case in point. Thank you. Just bring your offering and put it right there. Anybody else have an offering? You come, the bus is away. Uh, when I say contextualize the story, we preachers use big words. Everyone's like contextualize. All that means is you cut the cake and you give it to somebody so they can taste and see, oh man, yeah, that's good. I think I want some more of that. What do you mean? Years ago, there was a, a, his wife still comes here. She may be in the service herself, but there's a lady in our church named Nancy Trees. She, Trees, she leads our grief share ministry. She's married to a man named Mike. Uh, Mike was a rascal. I love Mike Trees. She came up to me one day and she said, hey, would you mind going to play golf with my husband? We're members at, at Pecan Grove Country Club. He's not really into church and he doesn't believe all this, but I think he might like you. And I'm like, great, go play golf. Please, Burr Rabbit, don't throw me that briar patch. So... If you need somebody to play golf with your husband, ladies, I'll be right here after the service, okay? So we go, we tee off, we're playing. We get out the fifth tee box. I said, so Mike, tell me about you. I want to get to know you. I want to understand what you're like. I want to know who, where you are spiritually. He's about to tee off. He looks at me and goes, huh? And I said, are you like growling like a bear or something? And he says, well, I, I mean, I, I, this may be a deal breaker, but I, I don't believe all that. I said, why don't you don't believe? I don't believe creation. I don't believe the flood. I, I just don't believe all that. I mean, I got five degrees. And I said, so you're smart and you're lost. And he said, well, whatever you think, I don't care. And I said, all right. Well, I said, God, I'm going to beat the snot out of you on the golf course. I'm going to walk away and know how to pray for you. So hit. And he was like, I said, does that bother you? Because, see, he doesn't expect the preacher to say that. He expects the preacher to say, oh, Mike, I'm so sorry. Have you come to the point in your life, you know, for sure you died tonight, you'd go to heaven? And Mike, if you did die and you stood before God and God said, why should I let you into heaven? Because that's just works-based theology nonsense. I just said, I'm going to beat the snot out of you. I'm going to walk away and know how to pray. Go ahead and hit. Swing harder. The last one you, you hit didn't go far enough right, okay? You hit one right of Reagan out there. He's like, I'm trying to play. I'm like, go ahead. 
So we play, we shake hands. He starts showing up at church. I said, hey man, if you don't believe, why do you come to church every Sunday? He said, because I'm a communicator in my business, in my, my job. I want to get better. I think you're a good communicator. So you don't care about this. You just want to get better. Yeah, I said, man, are you really that selfish? Whatever you think. I said, I'm just messing with you. And so he come every Sunday. Every Sunday he'd come up and talk to me and tell me things. How you talked about soils. Let me tell you, there's five types of soil. He was one of his degrees. He's a geologist. I was like, okay. Then one Sunday came. I was standing right over here and I looked up. I saw him at that door back there and he just kind of waved. His whole countenance looked different. He walked up to me, stuck his hand out and said, today was my day. By the way, what I forgot to tell you is before he got to that, he had headaches and he was put in the hospital. And in the hospital, Sugarland Methodist, his wife called and said, Mike wants to see you. I'll go to see him. And he said, I said, what are you doing in here? He said, I have a glioblastoma brain tumor. And I got a question for you. You think God gave me a brain tumor to bring me to faith in Christ? And I said, I don't know, Mike. I said, but here, here's why you got to contextualize the gospel. I said, what we do know is that there are situations in the Bible where God caused things to happen to turn people's heart back to him. Where is that? Name one. Uh, 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 uh. Do you have Google? I mean, eh. No, I said, that's just the way Mike was. He was bottom line. I said, actually, Numbers chapter 21, the, the children of Israel out there whining and complaining, and God sent snakes to bite, fiery serpents to bite them in the stomach, and they were crying out to Moses, and Moses went over and started praying to God, said, God, what do I do? And God said, hey, fashion this bronze serpent and put it on a pole and hold it up, and everyone looks to the bronze serpent will be saved. And he's like, I said, this was so formative for the children of Israel. Then when John chapter three, Jesus says himself, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so much the son of man be lifted up. He's lifted up as the only thing that's going to change your life. The only thing that's going to save you. In In the wilderness, it was a bronze serpent. In our life, it's Jesus Christ. He looked at me and he said, well, I think that's what happened. I think God gave me a brain tumor. I said, well, hold that as long as you can. The nurse looked at me like, you don't know how to do this, do you? <laughs> Some months later, he walks up to me and says, today was my day. And I said, I can tell. We shook hands. I said, let's talk about baptism. Let's go to lunch. I'll come to your house. He goes, okay. Not long after that, I brought a pitcher, stood right back here in this baptistry, and baptized Mike Treese. Some months after that, I buried Mike Treese. He didn't get healed in this life of brain tumor. He got healed of everything else. Why do I tell you that? Because it it, it doesn't always go like we think it should go. But you got to contextualize the gospel. Just just this week, I'll talk about it just this week. I got two phone calls this week. First one, hey man, can you help me talk? Help me this whole Josh Duggar thing? How many of you heard about Josh Duggar and the Duggars this week? And I said, what do you think? I I I mean, if we can't look to the Duggars, who can we look to? What did you say? If you can't. And so I just let the person talk. And uh, I had to explain to my 12-year-old who likes to watch 19 Kids and Count. Hey, Dad, why isn't that on anymore? And I explained it to her. And I said, you don't need to judge. That's horrible what the kid did. But you need to pray for them. I mean, I'm just disillusioned. Who can we, who can, if we can't look to them, who can we look to? Jesus is your perfect example. He's the true and better Adam. People are going to let you down. Oh, my favorite was, hey, man, can you help me with the whole Bruce Jenner thing? I can help you because if he looks at me one more time, creepy in that camera, like. <laughs> I'm getting to my truck and I'm driving somewhere and somebody's getting a beat down. I don't want to see that on the news all the time. But, hey, look at me. 
We're talking about contextualizing the gospel. You got to know where to cut it. So I took the sharp edge of the gospel and I just kind of cut out a big swath of that. And I said, here's the thing about Bruce Jenner. I'm not going to use his other name because that ain't his name. Here's why. I said, here's the deal. This is about Christology. This is about who gets to be God. This is the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. You go, what do you mean? Genesis chapter one, verse 27. In his image, he created them, male and female. He created them. Bruce Jenner wants to be God and say, you make me a man. I want to be a woman, okay? So I'm going to make myself a woman. Who made you creator? And so sometimes... You got to cut the cake, but sometimes you got to have a little something extra to put on top of it. Yeah. Oh, and looky there. Oh, looky there. Happy day. Oh, it's good and melty too. Oh, glorious. I met before the service. By the way, this, this is what you think it is. It is bluebell, homemade vanilla. And my friend Rick's going to come put that back in the freezer because I got another service. <clears throat> this is what you think. It's bluebell, homemade vanilla. It's been in my freezer. I've been rationing it out. Uh, no, you can't. <laughs> and it's chocolate, chocolate chip with sweet buttercream, cream cheese icing. What are you thinking right now? <laughs> Antonio down here, amen. <laughs> Over here, someone's like, yes, do you need a volunteer? <laughs> yes. Yes, I'm going to share, just not with you. I met a man before the service who's a missionary in Ireland. And he said, man, one thing we can't get in Ireland is bluebell. We come back to Texas, get bluebell, can't get bluebell. Today you can, right? This is yours. Come get it. Come here. Oh, mm. it's melting down there in the cake. That's not going to be a problem for you, is it? Not at all. Not at all. There you go. Enjoy. You, or as the Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. <laughs> Look at me. When you have conversations, when you tell the story, you got to contextualize the story. Why? Because that's what makes it taste so good. That's what makes it. Now, th- that means when you tell the story, it doesn't sound like it sounds when it comes out of me. Don't leave here today and go, man, Pastor Neil has all these conversations with these people, blah, blah, blah. I've been doing this a long time. Some of you got to walk out a day and just decide to start. Just decide, just to. And it's as simple as when somebody comes to your house and says, man, you got a beautiful home. Yeah. I should be burning in hell for being born so wicked, but God's been so good to me. He's redeemed me, let me hear his voice calling me, and he's blessed me. I feel like the favor of God is on me. This is better than I deserve. Thank you for acknowledging how good God's been to me. You want a hug? Come on. Your friends may be like, uh, that's creepy. But I promise they'll walk away and they'll have to think about this whole God thing. This is a big story. I'm not so remiss to think that all of us are living the story. Here's the thing. You can live a story or you can live in the story. And the story is big enough for all of you. The story of the gospel is not afraid or ashamed of anything you've ever said or done. God has the power to forgive. This is not religion. It's relationship. 
And when we all know the story, we live in the story, when we tell the story, when we contextualize the story, guess what? People begin to get a sense. That's why the Bible says you're the fragrant aroma of Christ to those who are perishing. People begin to long for. You should have saw yourself when I pulled that blue bell out. Some of y'all are like, mm, no, he didn't. Yes, I did. <clears throat> why? Because when you hear and see the gospel, remember John the Baptist, Matthew chapter 11, he's in prison. He's about to die. He sends his disciples to say, hey, go ask Jesus. Are you the one to come or should we expect somebody else? Translation, are you really the Messiah? Jesus says, you go tell John what you hear and what you see. Most people have heard the gospel. They've never seen it. And they sure haven't tasted it. But yet the Bible says this is so tangibly demonstrable. It says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Hold your hands out and speak a blessing over you. Your God is so faithful. He not only has told you the story, he's invited you to be the story. So depart now and live this old, old story. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Bless you, you're dismissed.